0: Welcome back to Let Freedom Reign podcast, the official equine industry podcast of Day Six Ranch. I'm your host, Jason Swick. And on this show, we discuss leadership, self-mastery, and discipleship from topics and perspectives exclusive to the equine industry. If you are looking to build a legacy-worthy lifestyle, we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com and explore our free content, other podcasts, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. We thank you for joining us on this adventure. Welcome, everybody, to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. This week, we feature neighbors of mine by Texas standards, Katie and Elliot Holtzman of Versatile Horsemanship. Now, I met Elliot a couple years back through the Legacy Men's Group, and it's been so fun over the last couple years watching him and Katie grow their brand. In this episode, we talk about how different their histories were prior to finding their common thread in the horse and how their seemingly simple horse training business model has grown in ways they never dreamt of. To learn more about Katie and Elliot and all they have to offer through Versatile Horsemanship, you can visit versatilehorses.com. Now, Katie and Elliot also run the Southwest Liberty Horse Club, which is a chapter of the International Liberty Horse Association. For more on the Liberty Horse Club, you can visit southwestlibertyhorses.com. Their scheduled events are more commonly posted through their Facebook page, both Versatile Horses and Southwest Liberty Horse Club. Now, off-air, we kind of spoke of a horsemanship opportunity coming up in late August. Day6 Ranch and Versatile Horsemanship are going to team up to host a single-day liberty workshop at Versatile Horses in Nakona, Texas. We're going to do everything we can to make this a free event, but there will be limited spots available. To stay up to date as information is released for the event, visit day6ranch.com, scroll to the bottom of that homepage, and sign up for our newsletter to have first access at registration. Again, we cannot thank you enough for your continued support of Let Freedom Reign podcast and in the Day6 Ranch brand. We hate to keep y'all waiting any longer. Here's our conversation with Katie and Elliot Holtzman of Versatile Horsemanship. All right, so why don't you guys tell me about this new Mustang that will be competing in the Fort Worth Mustang Show. I know he's been at the house a little while now. How's the progress coming along?
1: He's coming along well, good. Um, it's a little little gray. I picked him up what we're probably almost four weeks ago yeah and he he's not the the easiest (laughs) he uh he's a little hard-headed so aren't we all it's it's perfect (laughs) to uh push my buttons and and make me get better in advance but yeah he's he's coming along well and learning his uh liberty and riding around and just being uh you know, normal horse, uh, citizen.
0: Good. Is it fair to say yep. that he's on par? Or?
1: I definitely.
0: Good, 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 good. It's yeah. going to be exciting to get him down there and see what the final product is there in September and that Fort Worth Mustang show and watch you guys compete and see how it all goes. And heck, we might even make the run down there and help out with the event a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, cause this, probably, this is my first Mustang that I've trained in. Since 2015. Oh, dang. So it's been quite a few years. Knocking Before that, we did, we did quite
2: a few of the makeovers. Yeah, We did one a year at least. Um, yeah, from like 2010 or 11 until 2015.
0: Oh, wow. So you guys got a bunch of them in there for a bit.
2: Yeah, we used to... <laughs> there were two or three years in a row that we did... Both of us did multiple makeovers um, oh. within a year. And then in 2015, Elliot was the only one that did it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we, Honest, I guess the biggest reason that we kind of quit doing it is because um, we started going to Africa with Mark and uh, Miranda. Heck yeah. And then we all went during the makeover, so... We we just kind of ended up going to Africa. (laughs) I mean, you can't pass
1: up going to Africa and teaching clinics. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to say that that (laughs) might
0: damper the training schedule a little bit, but it's an experience that I probably wouldn't say no to.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, go to Africa to ride horses and teach clinics, or so we just kind of jumped on that. But anyway, that's
0: That's cool. Yeah,
2: no, he's a cute little horse. He's a. He's a little gray. I don't know how tall he is. I don't know. Is I guess he's barely 14 hands, but he looks like a little Welsh pony. He's adorable.
0: Nice. Nice. That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. Well, let's get into let's get into your guys' history and we've had several couples on that run different horsemanship programs and businesses in previous episodes, but I'd like to start Katie with your history of the horses and then we'll get into Elliot's history and then we'll blend the two and and talk about the beginnings of versatile horsemanship. So Katie, I'm going to open up the floor to you and explain kind of some of your history with horses and how you got to the road we're traveling now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, <laughs> I pretty much like was a horse crazy kid. I don't remember ever really having or playing with like dolls. I had like the briar model horses, um, Grew up. My mom had a, a horse that she showed. Oh, uh, I guess in Western pleasure. And then we got another horse that we did like kind of the playday stuff on. My grandfather uh, raised horses when my mom was growing up. He was always big into the cutting horses and the cow horses. Um, he always, you know, wanted to to breed, raise, and have trained like a futurity horse. Um, he never, he he hasn't to this day gotten to do that. He's had horses you know, that he's put into training and things of that sort, but for just different reasons, they just didn't make it, um, you know, to the futurity or whatnot. But that's really where I got my love of horses probably is from my mom and, um, my grandfather. That's awesome. Yeah. And like, I, (laughs) I don't ever remember wanting to do anything except for finding something to do with horses when I was growing up. Um, I was never, like, I never really did any other sports in, you know, middle school, high school, elementary school. I just wanted to get through school every day and go to the barn with my mom to see horses. Like, that's all I wanted to do. Um, I ended up, the day after I graduated high school, like, the day after, I uh, packed up my stuff. And I moved to Texas, Um, I grew up in Georgia, so I'm not originally from Texas, I grew up in North Georgia. And um, yeah, I packed up and came out here because I wanted to pursue a career somehow in the horse industry, Um, especially the Western performance horse industry. So like the cow horses, um, you know, things of that sort, and my grandfather, he was like, well, if you want to do cow horses, you want to do Western horses. Like, go to Texas, go to California, somewhere west. Like, that's where those horses um, and those trainers are. And so that's what I did. I packed up and I came out here and I worked a bunch of odd jobs. Um, My first job when I got here, I was a delivery driver for a florist. And when I moved here in 2006, um, I didn't get a cell phone until I moved here. And it was just like this little brick phone. So I used like a Maps Go to get around, which was great. <laughs> like, you know, I, I was raised looking at maps and like printing out maps yeah, and stuff the like Thomas that. Thomas guy so like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I drove all around North Texas my first job. Like I said, I delivered flowers and I learned my way around because I got lost a lot. Um, Isn't
0: that indicative of life though, right?
2: Yep. <laughs> and what? why I was so confident at 18 moving out here was because I would spend every summer out here. Um, my aunt, so my father's older sister, uh, her husband's job brought them out here to the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, not long after they got married. And so every summer I came out here and spent the summer with my aunt and my cousins and Elliot and his family were friends with my aunt and my cousins And so that's how we all kind of met. Like I said, like, and my my aunt, she was pretty horse crazy too growing up. She didn't really get a lot of opportunity to do horses, but um, that was on my dad's side of the family. So, anyway, that's what I did. I moved out here and I was really shy Um, when I moved out here. I was shy growing up, like in high school and everything. I didn't, you know, talk much. I just didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Probably because I, I grew up. I actually used to have like a like a stutter, um, and so I did like a lot of speech therapy, and I just I was always just scared to talk to people, and so I moved out here, did a bunch of odd jobs like delivering flowers, I was a receptionist at a hair salon, uh, worked a bunch of odd jobs, rented a room in a house with a ton of roommates, and I eventually dipped out here, um, so that was great. I got to you know start riding my horse again when that happened.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and it wasn't until, I guess, two years after I moved here, <clears throat> I, I still hadn't, like, got my foot in the door in the industry and with horses. And it was because I was just still, you know, shy and scared and didn't know, I didn't know, like, how to pursue it. Yeah, and you're also um, in a highly confident. saturated market. Yeah, like, I just, I wasn't confident. And a lot of it, like, in everything, I didn't know anybody when I moved out here except for my aunt. And, um, Elliot's family, like they were my only contacts out here. And at the time they weren't really involved in the horse industry. And like I said, I just wasn't brave enough to like pick up the phone and call mm-hmm. any of mm-hmm. these amazing professionals. I, I like, what did I have to offer them? Um, and my, my aunt sat me down, like I said, two, two years after I moved here and she was like, look, Katie, you moved here to do horses. So let's figure out either A, how to do horses or like B, like go to school or something. Like we have to do something. <laughs> like can't just keep doing all of these odd jobs. And so yeah. she got me started at North Central Texas College. It's a junior college. They have um, at the time that I started, they had a current campus and a Gainesville campus. But now they've got campuses all over North Texas. And so I just started going to school and um, I was never a strong student. I, I was never... Like, I was interested, you know, in history and art and things like that. But, like, I just always had a little bit of a hard time, like, sitting still in a classroom. Um, But once I got started at NCTC, I actually found out that they had a horse program up at the Gainesville campus. And it was a – they still have it. It's a two-year program. And you go through, you do, like, behavior and training, learn equine science, you do all the things. Uh, There's, like, an internship that's part of it. And when I read about it, like, I immediately applied to the program and transferred from the current campus to the Gainesville campus. And that's how I started to get my foot in the door, I think, um, as far as the industry goes. And during that time is when we started doing the Mustang makeovers as well. And so between me going to college and uh, Elliot and I, because I already had known Elliot at this time, um, and we already started dating. So, between us doing the Mustang makeovers and going to college, like that's pretty much how I finally got into the horse industry here in yeah. Texas. Um, yeah. And I did it. There, there's every way that I think you get into this industry is a hard way, whether you go and work for someone or you start out on your own without working for someone, you know, however you do it, even if you're raised in it. Every way you look at it is hard. It's just a different kind of hard.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a very fair statement.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, it you know, it can't be easy being raised in a family of horsemen and then living up to that expectation. It, it's not easy, you know, starting your own business on your own without a mentor at first and things like that. That's how we kind of did it. And then it's also not easy, you know, being an assistant trainer or an intern and coming up through the, you know, through the ranks in that way. Like every way you do it is hard. It's just a different kind of hard. And so the hard that we chose was to do it on our own. Um, But that's how we, you know, kind of got going through NCTC. I I had two really great teachers and they, um, you know, opened a lot of doors for me and introduced me to a lot of really great people in the industry. And then through the Mustang Makeovers at the same time, we also met, you know, a lot of great people in the industry that we would probably never met had we never done those events because it just put us all at the same place. Like all of us from all these different backgrounds and different disciplines ended up, you know, in Fort Worth together at the show.
0: Yeah. Converging Uh, on the event.
2: Yeah. Just all together. And like, that's how we've met. Yeah. Probably our greatest um, and longest you know, mentors and friends is through those two deals, um, yeah. people that we still pick up the phone and call almost on a daily basis and get, you know, advice, whether it's business advice or, you know, I'm really having a hard time with this horse and this one aspect of his training. Um, so that was kind of the deal. And so I was in school working a bunch of odd jobs, um, doing my thing makeovers. And I still wasn't like a hundred percent in the industry, right, because I was still delivering flowers, I was still working at a florist, <laughs> I was still, you know, doing those things, like going out to the barn at nine o'clock at night when I got done working, and then riding horses, um, and so all at that same time, Elliot and I, uh, the, we, we rented like half of a barn um, that we kept our horses at, and like, you know, stored our stuff at, and things like that. And just other people at the barn started asking us when we had time to put rides in their horses. Um, And that's kind of how I guess we kind of started the business is like we started riding those people's horses. And then all their friends found out but their friends kept their horses at another barn. Mm -hmm. Well, so then one of us would go ride the horse at the other barn, too. And we traveled a lot like that when we just around, you know, this like the uh, the Denton kind of Argyle, Bartonville area when we got started. Um, And that's kind of how that went. And I got finished, I guess, at NCTC. I did the two-year program, literally took like every horse class that I could. And my two professors, uh, Becky Terrell and Bill Caven, they were both um, graduates of Colorado State University. And then they both were in the industry for like 20 plus years before they started teaching. And so I think that because they weren't just, they they didn't just have the education behind them. They had the experience as well. And they, like, I had no plans to keep going to school. Like I, again, I'm not a great student. (laughs) I did great in the horse classes because they were so hands on. And I wasn't just sitting in a classroom. Like I got to do stuff, you know, I, I, it kept my interest. And I, I love horses. Like that's my whole life. That's all I've wanted to do is horses as all I know. And so they sat me down though after I, you know, graduated from their two year program. They were like, Katie, one thing that like you have to understand is your barn may not always be full. You know, like you you may not always have a full lesson program. You may not always have a barn full of horses. You need to have no I don't want to say like a backup plan, but other skills. Absolutely. And like and I I'm not like the most skilled horseman in the world. Like it's not like a bunch of natural talent. I'm just too, I don't know, stubborn to quit. I like it. <laughs> I, just, I like it. I just, and I, I like to learn. Like I like to learn, um, and I think that's why I've always been so interested in horses because you are always learning, and it's just, yeah, like they keep you on your toes. Like the whole industry keeps you on your toes, and so they told me though that <laughs> Becky and Bill they were like, Katie, maybe you should think about you know finishing a four year degree and. Doing something like that, like just in case, like just in case it doesn't work out and you have to close your doors or you can't pay your bills, um, you know, think think about it. And so I did. And um, they encouraged me to go on and get a four year degree again. Not I am not a student, but I like to learn. Um, I just like to learn you know, in, in a very hands-on way, I'm a very visual and kinesthetic learner. Like I have to learn by seeing and doing. Yeah. And so I went on to, um, Texas a and commerce and it was the closest school that I could transfer to, um, without like having to move. So I could still commute. I could still live in this North Texas area and keep riding horses for people and keep, you know, doing those things and still get a degree. Um, By this point, pretty much by the time I started it um, and in commerce, I think I had finally quit my last odd job and was riding horses full time um, is how that had happened. And I will go ahead and tell you. I know I said NCTC was a two-year program. That's like their goal. It was not a two-year program for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the long route. Um,
0: as long as we didn't make it a doctorate program, we'll be all right.
2: Nope, nope, nope. I, I do not have a doctorate program. I, I didn't do that. I'm not Dr. Katie Holtzman, uh, although it, I have um, advisors still at in commerce that keep twisting my arm and trying to convince me to uh, do that. I, yes. have not, I have not done it, but anyway so i transferred um to Anim commerce and they also had a horse program there at the time that i started though it was just a uh like just you could just take some classes like it wasn't Mm -hmm. a degree it wasn't like a big program um so i kind of did a few of the classes that i hadn't maybe gotten to do at nctc or like that they just didn't offer and then i finished my bachelor's. First degree and my advisors, um, Dr. Uh, Bob Williams and Dr. Jackie Warman. Again, after graduation, um, they set me down, and I, I went to school with a really good friend of mine, Melissa Barnett, and she was at NCTC with me, and she actually ended up going to Adam Commerce with me, and so we commuted together, and so um, and she's she's much more of an organized like student. And so, where I was always a procrastinator, waiting until the last minute, she kind of helped keep me on track. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, she was definitely my accountability partner for all of that. Um, because you know, like it wasn't just horse classes; like I still had to take, you know, chemistry and yeah. yeah things I like had that. a similar
0: so. experience. I went to school because it afforded me the opportunity to play baseball. That was it. It yeah. wasn't that I had a love for academics? I do enjoy learning, but yeah, I could care less about having a degree
2: exactly yeah like i i like the learning it wasn't all the other stuff but anyway so sat us down both melissa and i and they said well what do you think about going back for your master's and i was like no
0: they got me on this one before
2: (laughs) i was like i've already been talking doing a four-year like a bachelor's degree like why would i stay around and do a master's degree first of all my aunt did help me um, when I was at NCTC and she like helped me cover um, as long as I kept my GPA, which was really hard for me, at a certain <laughs> level, she would help me pay. So like she paid for half my classes, right? Like she she paid for half my tuition and then I covered the rest um, as long as I kept my GPA at a certain level, like I said. And so yeah. transferred to Annum Commerce, um, I, you know... Got some student loans, paid for that myself. And again, that's, I I was on the long route again when I was doing my bachelor's degree because I didn't always take a full load either because, you know, college.
0: You got to deliver flowers, right?
2: Yeah, it's expensive. I was riding horses. (laughs) Like I'm a horse trainer trying to pay for college. And (laughs) so they, what they said to me is when they, you know, were telling Melissa and I about the master's program, is they said, well, we're about to turn. The equine program, we actually have the accreditation and the ability now to turn it into a four-year degree, which there's not very many colleges in the country that have Mm -hmm. an actual four-year equine degree. Like, that's a pretty rare thing. Um, And they were going to do that, and they wanted savvy grad students to help in the program. And so what they offered me um, at the time, if my degree was focused around ag education with, like, a focus in animal science and equine um there was a the school had like a grant program going at the time where the ag teachers you would get a certain number of classes for free in your master's program oh cool yeah and then i got because i was a a graduate assistant um that i got to work in the program and help you know teach the classes and kind of develop it and things of that sort in a very minor way but it was still enough that it caught my attention um i got like Tuition remission and a little bit of payment through that. So it was kind of like, I'm not going to say the whole thing was covered, but quite a bit of it was covered. Yeah, I was going to say that, the offset still counts. It, right, it still counted. And again, I had, you know, Dr. Bob, uh, Dr. Warman, Becky, and Bill all in my ear being like, Katie, you know, you may not always be able to pay the bills through just riding horses for people. What if you get hurt? What if Elliot gets hurt? Like, if what you if you get that master's? Happens? What? Yeah. So you should get the masters. And so hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. Um. And I finally finished. I started school the whole program, like back in NCTC. I started my basics in two thousand and eight, and I graduated with my master's degree two thousand and fifteen. <laughs> hey now, it's all
0: said and done.
2: All so said and go. done. I like <laughs> it. What I did. Um, after I graduated, I did. Um, I was an adjunct teacher part time, so I taught at AM Commerce in the horse program, and I also was able to teach at NCTC in Gainesville uh, for quite a while. Like I taught the horsemanship classes, I taught um, the behavior and training a little bit, um, taught the equine science stuff like that. Just like I said, part time. It was never full time because I was still, you know, riding horses yeah. and in the barn and cleaning stalls and running the business or trying to run the business yeah um so yeah that's kind of kind of where i went and like i mean i i get asked a lot like what would you do if you wouldn't didn't do horses and at it's like until you know i finished college i couldn't really see myself doing anything else now I don't know, I would probably, like if I wasn't training horses, I could probably see myself maybe doing, like working at a breeding farm, um, or teaching at a university that had a horse program. But it's still horses, right? Yeah, I was
0: gonna say, you go get a PhD.
2: Yeah, or, or go get a PhD <laughs> and do something like that with horses.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Like I just have never, i never wanted to do anything else. Like it's what I've always wanted, um, in some way, shape, form, or fashion to be involved with horses. Um, and I definitely did a lot of it the hard way. Like I said, like we've had really awesome mentors, but I have screwed up a lot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's cool though, listening to your history, how you were placed in such a stronghold within the the interest of the horse so early on, yet you always found viability to pursue that. Most people, and I've had this conversation several times over in mentoring people, we tell young kids, you could be anything you want you want to be an astronaut, be an astronaut. You want to be a doctor, be a doctor. You want to be an educator, be an educator. But at some point, the weight of life gets so heavy or, or life's pressures get so heavy that we come off of those dreams. So when as adults do we stop dreaming? When do we stop pursuing those things that we, we tell our children that they could be? So I think it's cool that you had this fascination with horses at such a young age and That fascination grew into an interest that grew into an education that grew into an expertise that grew into a professional business. It's pretty cool to watch you travel in the same modality, and the same interest of the horse, but pursue it from just a little girl who likes being around horses to now a a credible professional within the industry, not only in the industry, but in a saturated industry here in North Texas. Yeah, you're
2: definitely a small fish in a really big pond in North Texas. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i'm the same exact way though i would rather i would rather be the small fish in the big pond than the than the yeah than the hometown hero of 500 people in your town like big deal
2: oh yeah like and well and one thing i really appreciate like being where we are there's so many incredible horsemen within yeah. like a throw away
0: yeah you're darn, I mean, darn right with that we're
2: so like blessed lucky and gr- i'm grateful to be able to you know and now I'm a lot more confident to just pick up the phone and be like, hey, can I come over for hey, a lesson? About that. Yeah.
0: No, that's way cool. Definitely. Um,
2: but yeah, like this is such a cool area to be in, to be in the, especially the Western performance horse industry. Now that we don't have a love of the English horse as well, um, it's just, you know, like, I don't know, I guess because my grandfather, I've just, I've always loved cow horses. Yeah. I'm really not that good at it yet as far as like cow horse <laughs> stuff goes. Like,
0: that's subjective. But I
2: love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Well, Elliot, I want to get into your history because your history, I think it's fair to say that your history is less saturated with the horse. It kind of took a completely diff- different route to becoming a professional horseman. So why don't you kind of share some of your history and your upbringing and how you came to the horse?
1: Okay. Yeah, it's it's a little different. Because um, <laughs> I grew up um, in like the Dallas, North Dallas suburbs. So basically in town um we did not have horses basically you know there was some family friends where you know over holidays they they would have horses and you you might ride here and there but it wasn't something that i was like totally into and and would go seek out then i was also in the boy scouts so and with going to like Boy Scout summer camps. They always had horses there, so I re- did a little bit of riding. So it was really easy to um, like get those those badges there. And I went through the whole Scout program. Got got my Eagle Scout. Even after that, stayed in the program and helped uh, like teach at the summer camps. Oh, that's cool. During all that, I. I was homeschooled, so kind of uh, growing up, did more of what I wanted to do and uh, kind of traveled around as well. So, like, normally the family thing would be like, you know, we're going camping here or there, and then also with the Boy Scouts would be camping. So basically, like, three out of four weekends of the month, I was out somewhere camping, and with that, I uh, started like learning wilderness survival skills. Later on, I was even like teaching the wilderness survival.
0: Oh, that's awesome!
1: Once I got a driver's license, I immediately started working any odd jobs I could, because I kind of like saw that as you know, I have my own truck, I can make money, which means I could go do whatever I want to do. And nothing will hold me back. So, yeah, I was to say
0: there's probably an asterisk at the end of that statement now, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In theory, yes, that is true. In execution, eh, it might be a little difficult.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the like easy easy thing that I started doing like was mowing lawns, trimming trees. That was simple. We were in the suburbs, so it was you mm-hmm. know. plenty of of houses, you know, easy to get that going. Then that turned into, you know, people asking, oh, well, you're here cleaning up a tree after a storm. Well, my fence is broken. So then I started building like wood fences and then that turned into building like decks. From there, I also was dabbling in like I'd find cheap cars that would. Kind of run and buy them cheap, fix them, sell them. So kind of had like a flipping cars on yeah. the side. Yeah. And I'd always aim for what, like, like the <clears throat> more like unique older vehicles. So, you know, I, there was a 60s model, Ford, 62 model, like Chevy, you know, things like that that I could find in someone's random field with a tree growing through it. Yeah.
0: Heck yeah. The barn finds. For
1: less than 500 bucks, Um, get running and, and flip it. That's cool. So from there, you know, and, and all this stuff I kind of like self-taught. So able to build things. That's kind of like my the easy thing for me is, is building. And with fixing vehicles, I also started welding. So I was welding, uh, like pipe fences for people. And kind of during all of that stuff at that time is when Katie moved to Texas. And after she brought her horse over, I was like, Oh, well, Maybe I should have a horse so I could spend more time with her. I like your style, buddy. I like your style. <laughs> so I went and picked up a cheap horse that had a lot of problems.
0: <laughs> Hopefully it didn't have a tree growing through it.
1: Nope. <laughs> and, you know, we were, like, looking up things and trying to, you know, get them better and do a little training here and there. So after I got that horse going around okay, I actually sold it and then got another one, kind of like the cars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just, just building there with the horses, and that with also starting to ride horses for other people, that kind of opened up a new avenue for my welding, where it turned more into welding pipe fences for horse properties. Yeah. From that, it was even... Um, putting in, like, horse, uh, you know, shelters, lean tos mm-hmm. Even, I think I even was doing, like, repairs, welding people's horse trailers back together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fixing horse trailer bearings and stuff like that. So it kind of, like, went hand-in-hand, hand, and both sides of it, you know, we started traveling and working with more horses, and then I'd also... Get more jobs, you know, welding pipe fence and putting in shelters for people. So it was a great, you know, great partnership of two things I was good at that went together.
0: That's cool listening to some of your history, especially like the Eagle Scout thing. I didn't know that. That's pretty dang cool because it's a relatively, I'd say exclusive feat, right? It takes a lot of years and a lot of dedication to, to pull that off and then for you to go back and teach it. I think it's pretty dang commendable, but hearing how you're flipping cars and then Creating the income, you know, flipping horses and the creativity with the welding and teaching yourself these skills. It's pretty dang cool to see how all the creativity and all the work, especially the work you guys got done around your place, is now obviously a lot more justified knowing a little bit about your history. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Most, most of the stuff, uh, you know, we, we always do ourselves. So, yeah. no, it looks Which good. Makes- takes more time but then at the same time saves you money absolutely goes hand in hand
0: it is definitely a give and take that is for sure that is for sure so let's talk about the start of versatile horsemanship when you guys come together and realize that you know what there might be a chance at this professional horsemanship thing
1: so yeah that's right about when katie was starting school she found a scholarship program that I applied for and that's called The Legacy of Legends and what it is is it's furthering and carrying along the teachings of uh, Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance. Mm-hmm. So um, Carolyn Hunt and then also uh, Buck and they kind of started this and I, I got the scholarship, and what that did is that placed me with a trainer. So I got to go. It was actually local, which at first I was like, oh, I'm only going to Weatherford. But at the same time, that worked out great because then I was able to continue going back after I spent a month there.
0: Oh, that's cool. So there's follow-up so like to some, it.
1: Right. Some of the other people in the program, like they they went halfway across the country and, you know, but I ended up in Weatherford with a cutting horse trainer, uh, Wayne Robinson and the main focus that I learned there was cult starting and then kind of just starting starting a horse on cattle. So I spent a full month there and then after I finished that month, I, I would go back you know, not understand something or you know you get a new horse and for training and you know, it was a little bit tougher. Didn't know what quite to do or how to work through something. And I'd call him up, and he'd be like, "Yeah, just come over." That's you know, cool. Come, come for the day, stay overnight, whatever. So that kind of started my education and horses of getting help. Mm-hmm. And from there, it was more of just <clears throat> going and riding in clinics or reaching out to individual trainers that we've met here and there and spending you know a day with this one or a day with that one
2: well and, yeah I think we were doing the makeovers by then I think we did we've done a couple um and that's also around the same time that we met Mark Lyon
0: who I gotta get I don't know why I haven't had Mark on the show I gotta get Mark on the show
2: well he's in Africa right now <laughs> <laughs> but when he gets back you definitely should but yes yeah, so we met Mark at a makeover and I think what happened is Mark I think Mark watched me get bucked off in the warm-up pin. And in true mark fashion comes riding over and he goes, Can I help you? And I was like, Yes, please. Actually, that's
0: a great question, Mark. And the answer is
2: yes. And that's also how we started going and riding with Mark, um, is through that. I think like Elliot had met him through the Legacy of Legends a little bit too, because Mark would always come to the event. But that was like my first experience meeting him. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, like that's kind of, yeah, you're right. That is how we kind of got started going and riding with people.
0: So then what were some of the, cause I know there's been an evolution in the direction of versatile horsemanship. So what were some of those first services that you offered? I know you talk about training for outside horses, riding other people's horses and things of that sort. Was that the initial vision or did you guys take those opportunities just because it was a survival tactic at that point?
1: So we started with just traveling to anybody that needed help, at their houses, at boarding facilities. After a couple of years of that, we were able to find a. It was kind of a barn. It really didn't even have stalls. Basically, five pastures with the open area in the middle that had a big round pen, and we basically kept our tack in a trailer, and that opened up the window where we started bringing in a couple training horses at the same time of traveling around. Gotcha. So we basically had that place for a couple years before we then found somewhere to rent that we were able to rent a house on a horse facility. And we were able to bring in our own training horses, started our own lesson program, even started teaching small clinics there. And even from that point is probably where our business started a little bit differently than most, because, you know, a lot of horse trainers, they, they either own their own place or they just rent some stalls at a facility that they're able to use, you know, use the arena, use the facility, mm-hmm. but they're, they're not having to do all of the caretaking work in arena grooming. So we we straight up just rented a property, and it wasn't just our house and our business there. We then were mowing and you got dragging six other jobs in between, yeah. And you know, paying our own electric bill, water <laughs> bill, yeah. building fence, doing everything, and and that's a little bit different. But at the same time, we were able to basically have complete, you know, control and say of. How the horses were getting cared for because we did our own feed program. Yeah, I don't you know, think there's we pride in that. Picked, we went and picked up whatever hay we wanted to feed,
2: like literally out of the field.
1: <laughs>
0: That's awesome. <laughs>
1: like, that
2: is awesome. Step out of the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that is. I, I never thought about it like that. It is kind of unique. I guess that we. I mean, there are some guys that do that still. But yeah, there's a lot of places, you know, I guess you just go and rent stalls and um, the, the barn provides the grain, the, you know, the stall cleaners, things of that nature. So,
0: well, and all the properties that we've had, it's, it's been the same thing. Like I'm the one man, band; I do it all, Yeah, you know, and it, it does take a lot of time. And it's that give or take that Elliot mentioned as far as, you know, building up your own stuff and taking care of your own stuff versus paying it out or contracting it where well, it gets done faster, but that requires a whole bunch of capital. If you don't have capital, to dump into a place. I also, just my personal opinion, I think there's more pride in taking care of your own stuff and managing your own stuff, even though it does take longer. Sometimes it works a little bit more arduous than what you would would want.
2: Yep. Yep.
0: Yep. So let's talk about the evolution of versatile horsemanship in the form of the introduction of Liberty into your program, because I know you guys run the Southwest Liberty Horse Club as well, which is an affiliate uh, chapter of the International Liberty Horse Association, if I'm correct.
2: Yes. Yep. So, <laughs> I, when I first uh, hosted a Liberty Clinic, so, I, let me think about how this happened for a second. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was a couple years ago. Okay, so, um, by this point, like, we, we were really good friends with Mark and, um, Mark, Mark Lyon and Miranda Holliday. And they had met um, Dan James, I think, at the at one of the Mustang makeovers and got to be friends with him, um, you know, met, met up with him a couple other times for some other deals, did a couple other like kind of co-hosted clinics with him, but not really a Liberty clinic. And they approached me, oh, well, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago now and said, hey, we, we want to host Dan for a five-day clinic. But at the time, they they didn't So the barn that they were training out of, it was, like, one of those barns where you just rent stalls, right? So, like, they couldn't host outside clinicians. They couldn't even do their own clinics there. So we were renting a facility that, you know, we were the only trainers there. We, you know, had just our horses, just our client horses were able to do it. So they asked if we wanted to have it at our place. And we're like, well, sure. Why not? not?" I don't really know what Liberty is. Like, I kind of sort of had an idea, but not really. I had I remember telling Miranda that Dan like we had met Dan and Elizabeth. I thought that they were great people. I was happy to host them for the clinic. I just didn't know that I wanted to put a horse in the clinic. And like what little bit that I knew of the Liberty stuff, like I had met Dan, but it was at like a a, a ridden clinic. It, we, there wasn't really any Liberty involved. But now my assistant, uh, who was at the time the intern for Mark and Miranda. Um, Amber Buresh, she was getting ready for the Midwest Horse Fair, and she had done some clinics with Dan. And I remember asking her like about this whole li- the whole Liberty deal, and she's like, "Oh yeah, like I would almost rather work my horse at Liberty than ride him." And I was like, "What?" Like I thought Hold that on was on here. Yeah. Thing. I was like, "Whatever, Amber, you weirdo." Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so we agreed to, you know, host the clinic. We get everything set up. Um, Mark and Miranda are there. Dan comes down. And this was right before like this was like the winter before he last competed at Road to the Horse. And okay. so like he brought a couple of his own horses, like he brought Swampy, his gray horse down, um, and a couple others. And anyway, that first morning of the clinic, he had each person that was there go out into the field in front of the barn. And he coached them through working Swampy at Liberty in the field. And so it was my turn. So I went ahead and did it. And I I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like doing whatever Dan told me to do with the whips. Yeah. And but it was like the coolest ever because here I am in this pasture and this horse is like he's connected to me. He's circling me changing directions. I'm pretty sure he like reared at some point. And I remember walking out of that pasture, being like, "Yeah, my horse is learning this." <laughs> <laughs> and so I pulled my little two-year-old cow horse up out of the pasture, and I was like, "Punk,
0: we're getting to work, game on!" Yep. And
2: so I put him in the clinic with Dan, and it just kind of like I just liked it. Like I still, at that time, I didn't know exactly how I was going to use it, and I just thought it was cool. And so for those first like two years that we did the clinics um, with Dan. I only did Liberty when either he was in town or when Miranda and Mark were in town because there really wasn't anybody else around me that was doing it. Like the people that were coming to those clinics were traveling up from like South Texas, which, you know, Texas is huge. Yes.
0: Which is, yeah, a day away.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's like a whole day's drive. So there wasn't really anybody around me that was doing it until, I don't know, a couple of years later, we had more clients jumping in on it. And so they started doing it. And then Dan and Elizabeth launched the International Liberty Horse Association, And did that first show. And during this whole time, Elliot got his Mustang kind of going. And his very first cow horse, which was a little horse named Oliver, um, and he got involved with it. So we had like two or three Liberty horses on the farm. And when the ILHA got, you know, started and running, that's when it kind of took off. Um, And that's kind of when we started the club because it was like, uh, Amber came down from Nebraska and it was me and Elliot and another client and friend of ours, Candice, who'd done some of the clinics with Dan. And it was, like, the four of us trying to figure out how to do these Liberty patterns. Yeah, what are we going to do with this? We're like, I-, I don't know what this means. Like, how-, yeah. how do you get out of this maneuver to the next maneuver? And that's kind of how the club got started because people heard that we were practicing for, like, the very first Liberty Horse show ever. And so they asked if they could just come out and watch. And I think they thought it was, like, good entertainment. Right, Elliot? Like, I think they wanted to see us like... <laughs> You know, tripping over our own feet, and falling yeah, face-first yeah. the arena, horses running around. Yeah, the entertainment yeah, is supposed people... to be the
0: performance product, not the actual educational <laughs> process. That's not supposed to be the entertaining part.
1: Yeah, some people, I think, were even disappointed because the horse didn't run off. It just stayed with us. They're <laughs> like, hold on, what is this? Yeah.
2: Yeah, they were like, yeah, anyway, so they came out and watched us when we were practicing to get ready for that first competition, And right after that is when Dan Elizabeth opened up the opportunity to start a club. And I jumped on it um, because, like, we were already hosting clinics with Dan. We were building a community without even realizing it. That's cool. And Elliot and I just, we were actually the first uh, ILHA club to be founded right here in North Texas. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, we we were the very first. And the very second was Merca Cruz, which is um, the Southeastern Club. And it's in kind of close to Alabama, like the Alabama-Georgia border.
0: Yeah, that is cool. I didn't know you guys had that history.
2: Yeah, like it just... I mean, being with the
0: ILHA so so early in the process or their
2: process. Yeah, it's been fun. Like, I never... uh, So, Ellie didn't get to go to the very first show with me. He helped get ready for it and everything, but he didn't get to go to the first show. But it was just... At that first event, I thought it was so cool because there were so many different people and different horses from all different disciplines and backgrounds like i had you know i I brought my cow horse there was a gal there with like a grand prix dressage horse there was you know people there with um that bred and trained race horses like Mm -hmm. just all these different backgrounds and disciplines and it was so cool to see all of them like just all coming into one place right like yeah, kind of like a thing makeover. Like how, like how often do you get that many different people yeah. with that many different backgrounds in one place, all with a love of horses?
0: It's incredible, and I've seen the profound effect of liberty in the form of operating in this warrior space that I'm in. Is it? I mean, a lot of people coming out of those professions are busted up pretty bad, and so they might not be in enough health or shape to physically ride. So it would stereotypically, it's going to limit what they can and can't do with a horse, but with the Liberty thing, it doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair or you got two good legs, if your back's blown up or not, we can still get stuff done with the horse and you can still develop that relationship. And then all the life skill parallels that come along with Liberty training or Liberty horsemanship is just, it has a profound effect. It's just so versatile in the horses and humans that it it serves.
2: Oh yeah. Like, I mean, it's given so many more people like what you are saying, an opportunity to enjoy horses again. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's incredible.
2: And it I definitely learned that um oh gosh, because you know you have to let him leave, right? Like the horse is totally free. <laughs> I learned that I was not a great communicator and I learned that um I had a hard time letting go. So I was
0: gonna say, usually <laughs> it reveals our control issues, or at least it did for me.
2: Yep. <laughs> yep, definitely revealed my lack of communication skills and my need yeah. for control and yeah. it has shaped me quite a bit. <laughs>
1: It's
0: cool though. You know, I was up at uh when we got out here, I went up to Patrick's and did some restarts at Liberty at his place, Patrick Sullivan's place.
2: Yeah. And
0: that was kind of my first, ex- my first intimate experience with Liberty. Like I was exposed to it before and kind of understood the the fundamentals and principles of it. But that was my first like saturated hands-on experience. And it was unbelievable how the horse just, the ho- you talk about communication, the horse just lets you know, like it's, it's time for us to ride. It's time for us to do this. It's time for us to push the envelope. If, if you have the awareness and the patience to sit and listen, it was incredible how much you can get done. And I tell people, because the question always comes up, the liberty start versus traditional cowboy vaquero starts, however you want to talk about it. And Elliot, you'd probably be able to chime in on this. Yes, it does seem like a liberty start might take a little bit longer to develop that relationship and that communication pattern. But once that's established, I mean, you can absolutely mash the gas on how fast you can push these horses as far as learning new skills and progressing through it through a training program, what's what's kind of been your guys' experience on that?
1: So once we started wearing the liberty, we actually changed how we are starting cults because we add in that liberty foundation as as like the basic groundwork right before we start saddling a horse.
0: Yeah, it's almost teaching the horse the learning process is what I kind of feel like it or the it, purpose yeah. that it serves. Teaches
1: them it teaches them to think yeah and you know for one like you get a horse in that you're supposed to start under saddle that it's it's not even halter broke yet and it doesn't want to be touched you know being able to start it at liberty and catch that eye and get it Mm drawing to you it it actually speeds things up at that moment so that you can move on to the next step
0: yeah yeah and i think it 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 empowers the horse it emboldens the horse once they're given that ability to make free choice and understand they do have a say in it. I've seen like, I forget, I was working the, the mare that we have, I was working out her out here. I forget what it was, but I had a, I had a halter and a lead rope on her and she was quite animated and old versions of me would have stayed with that rope halter. And I just got to the point where I said, forget it. We're we're in the round pen, obviously. Well, I'm going to take it off. And then you make your own decision from there. I don't need to control your distance or your proximity to me. You make the choice on where you want to be. And sure right. enough, that, that hurdle that probably, I probably would have perpetuated the issue if I would have followed traditional methods on it, allowing her to just be free and make a decision on it and work through the process in her own terms. I mean, it was a matter of five minutes and everything was corrected we move on.
2: Yeah, it's, it's amazing like actually watching them a- and like I, i've talked to some of my other like trainer friends about it that aren't necessarily involved in the liberty work but they've like watched it even just like how a horse moves like you watch him be ridden you know by a rider under saddle or with a bridle or whatever and then you cut him loose and let him kind of start circling you at liberty and it's amazing how much you know quality of movement is there when we kind of let him go yeah get out
0: of, <laughs> get out of their way
2: <laughs> we just get out of the way. They get to use themselves again. Yeah. Like they, you know, they reach a themselves, better. They soften their body. They soften. It's just, yeah.
0: It's it, fascinating. About it. It's fascinating. <laughs> it That's is for sure. It's
2: very fascinating. So yeah, like from there, I guess we were hooked, and it, it changed. It did. It change how we do. A lot of our groundwork is quite a bit different now. Yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. And
0: then it opens up doors. <laughs> it does. It does. It gives you opportunities to train at a pace. Like I said, that, that that initial process might take a little bit longer. But after that, it just seems like the horses are committed and more willing and just learn at a faster pace than traditional cowboy methods, I guess. I don't know if I can put another more articulate phrase on it. So let's talk about, I want to get into... The, the future of versatile horsemanship in the Southwest Liberty Horse Club. What are some events coming up or what are you guys pouring into? Because I know you've both traveled the country competing. You've trained and taught nationally, internationally. You've competed in some of the biggest events in the country, not only in the form of competition, but entertainment. What are some of the, the next chapters that you foresee for the Southwest Liberty Horse Club and versatile horsemanship? Well, so
1: I'm trying to think of where to actually start.
2: yeah as of like a year ago i never things i never thought i would do and i said i would never do (laughs) that's where you went wrong traveling mission and would never probably own a farm and you know god was like hey katie (laughs) yeah watch
0: this
2: (laughs) (laughs) this is your path now this is the path you need to be on but i mean yeah like you the twists and turns of life right
1: so like upcoming things we have going on competition-wise this year, that we're getting ready for. Katie is going to do the freestyle reigning at the Derby, Oklahoma City, in a couple of weeks. I have the my little Mustang, so I'm getting ready for the Mustang show in Fort Worth. From there, we're always thinking and looking ahead, so we actually both have a two-year-old <laughs> that we are aiming to maturity next year. Oh, nice.
2: I'll, I'm gonna put my name in the hat for uh, the Quarter Horse Congress freestyle again. Um, those entries haven't opened up yet, but I, I want to do that. And then I'll be hopefully once they open up the application, I'm gonna put my name in the hat as well to compete at the Liberty Festival um, in October at the Horse Park. That'll be cool. Yeah, competitive-wise, I guess that's how. Um, that's kind of what we're looking at.
0: And that'll be in tech this year, right?
2: It will be, and I am very excited about that. We, in the past, we've been in the old covered arena, but we saw so much growth last year. Um, yeah, we bumped it up a weekend to get the all-tech arena, so we're pretty pumped. It, 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 I don't know. It's it's just a cool facility and a cool arena to you know go and show and perform and just be in.
0: Yeah. No, it's definitely so, a I – knew, I knew of the importance of Road to the Horse – in the Colt starting world, but it wasn't until we went out this last year with the India 6-8 Foundation to help with some of the groundwork and logistics of the arena that I realized how big that event is and how influential it really, really is in the Colt starting world. It's unbelievable facility and just the environment. It's it's incredible. So now to see the ILHA bump up from that covered arena and make it to Alltech, you know, which obviously is just a matter of minutes away within the horse park, it's a pretty cool opportunity. That's for dang sure.
2: Absolutely, it's huge. Yeah, that arena. It's. I mean, it's. I don't know. It's pretty iconic. let you say yeah,
1: yeah, because uh, this year I rode the horse. We were there, and Katie had a couple entertainment slots during the opening ceremony. Another
2: thing I thought I'd never be doing.
1: <laughs> and, and on the Thursday, we taught a forty-five minute clinic there, and as we were teaching, I was kind of like riding around and like looking and like thinking, okay, this is going to be where Liberty festival is going to be. This is going to be great. Yeah. You know, it's going to be big.
0: No, it'll be cool. It will definitely be cool.
2: Yeah. And as far as for the Southwest club, uh, we actually, because we're an affiliate of the ILHA, we're able to host our own Liberty shows. And so we have one coming up, um, for our, that our club will host in Graham, Texas, uh, at the end of July, think it's the weekend of july 29th oh cool yeah so hopefully we'll get um you know some local liberty lovers uh down there to compete and we're going to do um on the saturday night that's where the freestyles will be held i've got a couple people coming in from out of state to do some opening apps for the freestyle and we'll kind of make it a, a little bit of an evening show hopefully
0: that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, we were out there last year with the family and it was just such a great event. Great little venue too. It really
2: is. It's a good, yeah, it's a good little venue. It's pretty easy, I think, to find and get to um, right out there in Graham. It's that Young County Arena. Correct. So, and they're awesome people. The, the people that run it are really easy to work with. So, it makes it, makes it really nice. Yeah, more
0: than enjoyable. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. Um And one thing I, I kind of, so, <laughs> another part, I guess, of where our business is going Again, like I said in the last year, things I never thought that I would be doing is now this path that God has been like, Katie, this is your path, Elliot. Um, we, we are a part of um, a training and entertainment series on an a internet based network called Force Pro TV. So it's Dusty Whitford and Shana Zollman they operate horse pro and they have a bunch of training series. So like there's a rainer that um, does a whole, all these training series and videos. There's a cow horse guy. There's like a ranch versatility. There's a barrel racer, um, a bunch of different training techniques. And what they started to do last year is do like a whole entertainment side of it. Um, And so they're trying to fund right now. It's, I guess it'll be like a little bit like a like a family drama type show, similar to Heartland. Um, They're calling it Pin Pop. It Mm -hmm. follows. It's based on true life events, but it follows Marines who are now out of. They're not in service anymore. They're back to civilian life, and they're trying to come back into civilian life. And they all end up in the horse industry. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the tie to it. But we have a series that kind of bridges the gap between the training and the entertainment side, called At Liberty and pretty much shana and dusty they followed us around like told our story you know like they followed me through getting ready to compete um at the liberty event that happened at road to the horse last year oh cool yeah so they kind of followed me getting ready for it they followed me to the event followed me through the event and the follow-up of it so that's all of season one but um that i think mixed with the The entertaining with the horses, with the Liberty Horses, the traveling to do clinics. Like this year, I I haven't just traveled all over Texas. We've traveled to a couple different states um, all over the country and done clinics. And that's something I never thought I would do. Like I said to a former intern, I was like, I'll never be a traveling clinician. Whoops. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, as far as where our business is going... Yeah, we, we, we still have horses here in training. You know, we start a lot of colts, ride a lot of horses that kind of need some behavior modification. And then for fun, we we show horses because I like the creativity side of like the freestyle and the liberty and the entertainment. I don't, Yeah, it's just, uh, I like the creative aspect of it. Yeah.
0: yeah, so where can people find you guys? Where can people follow you guys? Where can people get more involved with what you do?
2: So our website is versatilehorses.com. You can obviously like go look us up on there. I, it's it's a website that is uh, ran by me, so I can't say that it is the most uh, high tech website. But information is there. I feel and your then, pain. <laughs> and then we we do try to put as much as we can out on our Facebook page and our Instagram. And it's um, the the handle is just it's at versatile horses. So versatile horses is our handle. You can Google us versatile horsemanship. And kind of on there. And then we're linked pretty heavily, of course, the Southwest Liberty Club. Um, it's just that handle of Southwest Liberty Horse. That's how, how you can find us for the most part.
0: All right. So as we wrap every show, we like to offer some form of life advice. And usually the question is posed, if you were to guys, if you guys were to give previous versions of yourself or somebody traveling the same path that you've traveled, just a little bit behind you, if you were to give them some form of advice, what would that advice be that you would share
1: i would say for for me it would have been like jumping out there and like trying the bigger events sooner not really? being yeah don't be afraid to fail like that's where most of where where you learn the most
0: it's it's a powerful statement because i in my personal experience so much of my early athletic success was I was motivated by the fear of failing. I worked as hard as I possibly could, so I didn't fail. And it wasn't until I matured a little bit and then failed tremendously that I understood that there is incredible learning opportunity, incredible power that comes from failure. The change is the perspective in which you view that failure.
1: Yeah, just get out there and try it. Don't be afraid of failing Um, because, I mean, it's not... It's not a fail. It is a learning experience. Absolutely. Then you get in there next time and you do better and then jump out of your comfort zone. Heck yeah. Like one thing that I signed up for that is next year in February, I'm going down to Argentina and doing the gacho derby horse race. So that's a little out of my comfort zone. That
0: is going to be awesome by the way.
1: (laughs) Kind of uh kind of looking forward
0: to it (laughs) (laughs) kind of wondering what the heck you signed up for (laughs) yeah
1: but it's it's going to be a great experience and
0: uh danny called danny called me about it too and he's like explaining everything i'm like dude that sounds awesome and he's like so you're gonna go i'm like yeah i don't know about that buddy i don't know about (laughs) that part
1: (laughs) yeah i think the the biggest thing of why i'm like yeah sure let's you know i'm I'm just doing it is because i got some friends going Yeah, so So,
0: Elliot, give a quick summary so everybody knows what this Gaucho Derby is. It's a pretty exclusive endurance race held in Argentina annually, but explain it in greater detail.
1: You have 10 days to go 300 miles, and you have to pack everything with you, including your own food, tent. It is summer there, but still the highs might only be in like the 40s, and it rains every day.
0: So Super enjoyable weather
1: right <laughs> um, and, it, and it's a long distance oh and they have like crazy high winds so you know you got to get like a specialized tent that has to be ready to like if you're going to climb Mount Everest or something yeah and then you pack all that with you and your food and your water so it's basically a survival trip but you got to go 300 miles in 10 days to uh, complete the race and do all of it
0: horseback on somebody else's horse that you have no experience working with,
1: right? Ta-da! I mean, the big thing with this one is they are like local ranch horses that are supposed to be broke.
0: Yeah, everybody's so, opinion of broke is different, right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I'd say it's going to come down to the luck of a draw of the horse too, and and during the during the ten days. They do swap your horses out. Oh, so, interesting. You know, the 300 miles on, on in 10 days on one horse is quite a bit. So, you know, they have vet checks and after certain distances over different terrain, they swap out and give you new horses.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, they do. There's a lot of checks and balances to make sure that the, both the horse and the humans stay healthy and yep. don't just mash the gas and wear everybody out and put themselves in a bad position physically.
1: And then you don't really actually know the path you're going until you get there and they hand you a GPS with the, uh, with the pinpoint of the vet stations. And you kind of have to find your own route there. And the terrain down there, it's kind of like rock fields over mountains. Oh, and they have bogs. So, you know, you really have to like try to, uh, map your way through it at the
0: same time. Well, I will be cheering valiantly for you from Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, It's time to dust off those Eagle Scout skills, my friend. Yep. Ain't that the truth. So Katie, (laughs) let's get get back. Katie, life advice. uh, Life advice that you would share previous seasons of your life. Hmm.
2: Like, I've always been, I don't know, maybe too stubborn to quit on certain things like the horse deal Like I always pursued it, but at the same time, I don't know that I always pursued it. Like I didn't believe that I had anything to offer enough to pursue it hard enough initially. So I think that for me, what I would tell myself is like, Hey, like you have something to offer you, you have a lot to learn But don't be afraid to like stick your neck out there. Like it's it's just an obstacle. It's not something that you know. Like just find a way around whatever. Yeah, not
0: debilitating. Yeah,
2: like yeah, it's not debilitating. Believe that you can get around it, over it, through it, under it, whatever it is. Like just stay the course. There's a will, there's a way. Yeah, and at this point in my life, like you will not change my mind about if you. Yeah, if there's a will, there's a way, and. Don't
0: quit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for setting some time aside to share with us here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. And if there's anything that we could do to support you through the podcast, obviously you guys do not hesitate to reach out. It's pretty exciting times for the future of versatile horsemanship in the Southwest Liberty Horse Club. And Elliot, you'll have to keep us attuned with that Gaucho Derby. See how that thing comes along. Yep.
2: Post-ride interview. <laughs> yeah.
0: Heck yeah. We did that with Patrick. We did a pre-ride and a post-ride episode. And it was just, it was cool, you know, all the hopes and dreams going into it. And then the life lessons that came from it afterwards. Yep. Good stuff, guys. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch you on the next one.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks again for joining us here on Let Freedom Reign podcast. If you're looking to grow in the areas of leadership, self-mastery and discipleship, Please visit day6ranch.com to see all we have to offer in the form of free content, podcasts, and material related to building a legacy-worthy
1: lifestyle.